This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. So, hey, I'm Tobias Baxoit, CEO and founder of Parcelab. And what I love about retail is how it turns more and more digital and is continuously evolving and providing endless opportunities for brands to connect and engage with their customers. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Retail is Your Business. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and of course, uh, very appropriately, directly in front of me is the great and powerful Rebecca Fitz. Hi, Rebecca. This is uh, just as a, as a context, our very first interview of 2021, and uh, I see no better way to uh, tip my hat to, as I said, the great and powerful Rebecca Fitz. So, Rebecca, Happy New Year, and welcome how are you? Thank you. I am well. I tip my hat right back to you, Mark Rako. <laughs> I'm great that first Tuesday of 2021, and we're here and, and ready to roll. <laughs> I know. So, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking about how yesterday uh, was the first uh, official big work day of 2021 for the workforce. And of course, it started out with, for those who are aware, with a Slack being down <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for quite a while. And I, I think about all the people running around like chickens with their heads cut off going, oh my gosh, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And it, it kind of made me think about the systems that are integrated even for retail and how if one of them were to go down, let's say on Black Friday or something like that, the the I'm sure that's happened and I'm just not recalling it, but the impact that that would make on businesses that are so tied to a single system for their success. Absolutely. You know, I'm part of startup life. And the conversation that morning on Zoom was, can you believe Slack has gone all white? You know, what what yeah. cyber attack is happening right now? <laughs> exactly. Not, not to go to the dark side, but. It is a, an interesting thing to think about how we get so tied to singular systems. It's a reminder of how we need to have multiple points of entry to our business and the ability to communicate with our consumers, with our colleagues, and a, a reminder how important it is to to not be relying on one channel of executing your business. Maybe that's a great moment to bring in our guest. Uh, Tobias, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks a lot. Hey, well, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. So, Tobias, maybe we could start out by uh, commenting on the, the conversation that started out this interview about Slack and, you know, singular systems and everything. How, how do you think your company uh, fits into that conversation? I know it, it's not Slack. It's not a communication service yeah. per se, but, but how do you think you fit into the retail world's need to have more efficient way of running their business and making sure that they're not dependent on a singular system to get things done? Yeah. Well, in, in our case, it probably applies for managing their complexity within their ecosystem. Mm -hmm. As uh, I guess one phenomenon that we do see across retail is that it's getting more and more complex, specifically when you're talking about services you're offering towards your, your customers, right? If, if you want to be top-notch, you have to have like all of it. And it's usually not just one system, what we see, right? So you got to have, I don't know, multiple marketing tools. You got to play across all the different channels. You got to have heaps and heaps of service delivery options and all of this. And so what, what we see is that actually this 
this is always driving more and more complexity. And what we do in this space is we reduce this complexity yeah, because managing complexity on the one hand, it, it gives you probably more security than if one of those channels fails. But on the other hand, it's adding probably a lot of effort to maintain different things that are running in parallel. And if we look at like the world that we're in, so as, as a quick introduction, maybe we're working with retailers and we help them manage their post-sales processes. So for example, deliveries. And uh, usually retailers work with multiple delivery options, delivery companies like FedEx, UPS, USPS. And just lately in the pandemic, we have seen that some of those struggled yeah, and some of them even failed and stopped stopped operating. And so if you have more than one, it actually helps you to shift then your volume to somebody else and you could still operate. But on the other hand, it's implying a lot of complexity to manage those different relationships or different systems or data sources, whatever it is. And that's where then we come in and can help them. I would imagine right now, given how many businesses depend not just on their own fleet, but on other fleets, you know, your UPSs, your FedExs, your USPSs of the world to deliver, which I know is a part of your business, but I'm saying that th those companies are facing their own complexities and challenges right now, particularly given the pandemic. And with the USPS, you know, even USPS, if you're UPS or FedEx, a lot of people are having U UPS and FedEx delivered right to their local post office. And with the post office being strained, the delivery of those UPS or FedEx packages in the end are not reaching the consumers in a timely way or they're being lost or whatever it is in many cases, exactly. which means the, the more efficiency that the brand or the retailer can have on their end to get things out the door and to manage those systems, it's compounded even less, right? It becomes even more meaningful to have efficiency. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good kind of disaster plan to have if you have more than one of those options, because I mean, no one could foresee a pandemic like this and the implications it had. But for those retailers that kind of had this setup, that are set up in a, in a broader way and have options, alternatives to do things differently, if one of those option channels, whatever it is, fails, it at least helped them to stay afloat and, and keep operating, uh, whereas others have had quite a hard time. To uh, reverse engineer this a little bit, we're only seven minutes into the show and I'm already confessing that I'm a shopper. So <laughs> <laughs> wow. we're probably more than seven minutes in, but. And, and we've talked about the pandemic. So exactly. We're, right we've che we're checking all the boxes, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, so yep. when I, I'll take kind of a real situation without yelling out any retailers names, although I'm sure that they would not mind is I ordered lots of things during the pandemic and some athleisure wear because that was your uniform and it didn't arrive. And I guess I was, I wasn't so much surprised, but I had a great customer service experience, but it was really, I had already checked UPS and then it was her checking UPS. And it was also this new thing that they were doing that Mark, I think make reference to, which is UPS was actually bringing it to a post office that was then going to bring it to my doorstep. So where in the communication process would you have cut in for me? Yeah, so what you have done because of uncertainty or maybe of excitement, checking on, on, on your own delivery on those carrier websites or also talking to customer service and then they try to find out is checking the data, yeah? 
trying to find out what's happening, trying to see what's going on with that order, with the package, what has happened, what is going to happen. I think it's even more important, like when will that customer actually get the stuff they've ordered? Will it be on time? Will there be any problems? It's something that quite naturally in the past has been a manual process where we believe that this is something that can be totally automated. So it comes down to actually looking in this, into this data and understanding, is there something happening where I can get insights out of this and communicate it towards both internally, my, my service team, or externally to the consumer, to the end customer? And how can I use that information to improve the customer experience or at least improve satisfaction that in case something goes wrong and we've seen it many many times throughout the pandemic because things just didn't move as quickly and as frictionless as they used to how can i make sure that even when stuff is not delivered as promised if expectations are not met that i don't leave customers in the dark that i don't leave them by themselves that i don't leave them insecure and turning this the other way around and actually being proactive and telling them what is happening what's going to happen next and give them certainty about what they can expect so the entire experience across the entire shopping process becomes a lot better one. And I, myself, as a brand, as a retailer, positioning myself as that helping hand along the process instead of just letting customers go and left us in the dark with them, I don't know, facing their own problems. Right. And by the way, if this had been reverse engineered, it would have been super cool. So there was probably a date I should have been expecting it. I'm not good at this, even though I'm a shopper. And I totally blow off those emails. And then I go, oh my gosh, I ordered these leggings and where did they go? And then I look at the date and it says they were delivered. I live in a building yep. that does not have a doorman in New York City. I don't live in a rough neighborhood, but this is, again, we can't stop talking about the pandemic because we're still in it. Even though I don't have a doorman, the neighborhood changed a little bit. We had more people coming mm -hmm. to our block than normal because we have lots of outdoor restaurants. And there was a little thing going on where I think, you know, people who weren't from the neighborhood might have been, you know, once the door was open, going in and grabbing packages. And they didn't care if it was my tennis skirt and they were a guy, maybe they could sell it or whatever was happening. I imagine this mm -hmm. is happening all around the country, all around the world. I just talked to somebody from London and she said, you know, our old flat was right on the street. So you couldn't have, you know, packages delivered. And, you know, my children really didn't have a good opportunity to go outside, so on and so forth. So it would have been incredible if they had come to me and said, hey, we see that your package is many days late or never arrived. Here's how we're going to handle it. I'm assuming that's when you step in, because let me tell you, one of the worst chores, I mean, outside of like doing laundry is following up on packages that haven't arrived for me personally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Now, but what you're saying is pretty much the problem that we were addressing in e-commerce. It is about understanding customer expectations and what would make sense for you as a consumer. Right? So, so how can we help you make this process better, enjoy it more, and how can we use that, that underlying data that is basically there? Yeah? So it, you can create visibility and traceability if you like. And how can we connect those two things? Yeah? Connecting those operational processes that are ongoing, but linking this to your expectations. So what information do you need? When should that retailer communicate with you? What, what, what are you interested in? Like, do you want to know, well, it's going to be delivered within the next 10 minutes? 
right? If that's an information that you would like to see, wow. or you, you're even telling them, like, these are my preferences, right? I want to be informed about the actual status, or maybe you want to have live tracking. I want to get a text message 30 minutes before it's being delivered. I want to be informed when it is delivered. I want to be informed when it's potentially delayed. Like, there's so many things where you as a consumer are probably interested in that if they are known by the retail brand that are shipping the stuff, if they then take care of this and do it in a way that you enjoy it, this adds experiences, this, this, this adds to your shopping experiences, this helps the retailers to create a very happy customer that is not just buying stuff, but also experiencing the product being delivered in a way that they probably haven't seen it before. Amazing. And I see you have, this is a, another kind of really interesting example, and maybe you can talk some more about it. I see you have a major home retailer, which actually I, I think is a little hard to order from. I think you're used to going to their store. So did you yeah. look at their data and how people buy furniture from them and come yeah. up with ways to follow the, the consumer path to purchase and how those consumers want to be spoken to or communicated with? Oh, yes. We've been working together with that brand. It's, it's IKEA. Um, for <laughs> yeah, I wanted you, I wasn't going to shout it out, but excellent, by the way. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's not a secret. It's not a secret. But um, yeah, it's one of the world's biggest ones that didn't move into digital as the first one, but eventually did move into digital along the line. And we've been happy to working with them for a couple of years now. And well, we, we kind of support them along along the way. So when we initially started, we limited our scope of delivery communication and, and the stuff that we do around small packages. Yeah, because uh, the home, I don't know, kitchen accessories and, and the stuff you can also buy at IKEA, that, that's just classic e-commerce. And it's very easy to implement and to do. But what did happen is that more and more people were actually starting to order even furniture, like big closets, baths, sofas, online and even more complex stuff like kitchens were actually coming through the online channel. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but IKEA by now has a digital kitchen studio where you can model with a 3D perspective your future kitchen and can put it all together. And then when it's done, it needs to be a final check, but then afterwards you get it delivered yeah? and you're going to get it delivered into your home. So it's it's far away from the early days where they were just sending small packages, and it's now actually to two-man handling, big bulky stuff that is scheduled for a certain date because maybe you also have booked in additional services like they set it up for you. And all of this needs to be aligned, and all of this needs to happen in a way where it's very transparent because it's it's a process over over days and sometimes weeks, where IKEA is building this this new digital engagement channel post sales to make this even more easier and convenient for the customers. And yeah, I would say, again, the last couple of months have told us that even a fully digital world is possible. And this is just going to accelerate more and more, we believe, over the next couple of months to come. Yeah. And by the way, it's so interesting. My ugly cabinets are in the background and my husband and I have discussed redoing them. We're renters, so it seems insane, but we'll be here for a while. Yeah. And it's also a very disruptive process. So knowing when your cabinets are going to be delivered and God willing, I'm not the one putting them in, when the person is going to arrive to put them in, it's pretty complex. And I can't imagine the communication being equal to me getting a pair of leggings delivered. So that's yes. 
Fascinating. And so you customize this for every category. So if I'm H&M, it's a different communication. Exactly. Different requirements, different brands, different verticals. Yeah. Tobias, maybe um, just to sort of bring it together and simplify it, could you give us kind of the the elevator pitch for this? What What is the nuts and bolts of this? We've talked a lot yeah. about what it does, but what, what actually is the the actual offering that you have. Yep. And I'm also interested, the name of the company is Parcel Lab, yes? Yep. Why the word lab in there? What? How is that related to the larger vision <laughs> of the company? Uh, uh, good question. So let me start with, with our elevator pitch, if you like. What we do with our platform, and we call this a operations experience platform, is that we enable those big brands. It's retail, but it's not necessarily only retail. We also do this in B2B uh, when you think about spare parts or, or other businesses that ship stuff. But our main vertical is retail. And we help those brands, those retailers to create post-sales customer experiences. So experiences around their operational processes. So warehousing, fulfillment, delivery, returns, maybe repairs. So everything that follows after a purchase has been made it's usually a quite complicated world because there's different partners involved. When, when you speak about international brands or maybe cross-channel retailers, you know that there's like many, many different ways how you get the product to, to the customers. And uh, we help them to create super personalized and individualized experiences along those processes. And this is communication. Yeah? So this can be your, your classic delivery communication where we would be replacing FedEx, UPS, we would just turn it off and we would build a new tailored communication together with the brand, fully branded, and then use this to literally make customers happy. Yeah? So they've, they've already bought the product, they've, they've, they've wired the money, and now it's on delivering on that expectation and hopefully making them so happy that they talk about it, that they come back and yeah, you're creating very, very positive brand experiences along those processes. And yeah, from maybe a bit more background on us, we've been doing this for almost six years now. We are headquartered in Munich in, Bay, uh, in Germany. This is where it all started, but then we pretty rapidly expanded. We have offices in London, Paris, and now New York as well serve around a bit more than 500 brands globally. IKEA is one of them, another big one, H&M or Puma or Farfetch. So uh, those are the kind of retailers that tend to have quite a lot of complexity and that we like to work with. And we do this over 32 languages in 45 countries at the moment. Wow. And I see you have some bigger retailers. I might refer to them as legacy retailers. Is part of the need and... I'll, I'll get ahead of it a little bit, but it seems like everybody is mm -hmm. going to need this at some point. But are direct-to-consumer brands a little better off because their systems are more connected? They came off the internet and, and did physical and connected them more quickly than some of these legacy brands? Or is it just mm -hmm. that this will be coming to them sometime soon? No, actually, we don't see that. So we serve the more old-school brick and mortar or, or legacy kind of retailers that are adapting to digital now and potentially having multiple channels to serve. But we also have pure players that we work with as well. So it's an industry-wide movement that we're seeing that, that no matter what maturity of those businesses are, both on, on, on technology as well as on 
experience in, in dealing with digital that they're, they're moving more and more and more and doing more engagement, more experiences, more digital. And we don't really see that it's either or of those two categories, to be honest. Culture starts at the top and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. So, Tobias, do you see yourself more as a vendor, let's mm-hmm. say, or as a partner? And if you if you see yourself more as a partner, which is what my anticipation would be, uh, not, <laughs> right. not to make it like a not to make it like a setup question, but yeah. assuming that, <laughs> right, uh, yeah. how do you? I think this is a great lesson for any technology provider. How do you work to position yourself as a real partner, yeah. so that your customers see you as a legitimate, real, strategic, invaluable partner yeah. versus a service? Thanks so much for asking this. So yeah, 100% on partner because we truly believe that in order to be successful, you got to be very collaboratively working on, on these topics. And we do bring new innovative technology. We do bring a lot of experience in the space. We do this in an environment where usually the, the retailers have not had much or any experience at all. So they don't even know what they need to do. They don't even know what, what's important or how to use this technology. But on the other hand, we, we rely very closely on all the knowledge they have around their brand and their customers and uh, what kind of requirements and expectations they need to cover. So we can then together set up a new experience that is totally in line and totally individualized to what they're after. And so it's not just that we're providing technology or it's not just that you go and you, you buy our product and then we set it up and then we say goodbye. With all the brands that we work with, we have a very, very close relationship, a very friendly, positive relationship, to be honest, because we all really enjoy what we do. But we work with them like every week, every month, depending on what stage they're in, to continuously work on getting better and better driving their engagement, driving their experiences, because we also learn each and every day. Uh, We learn from data, we learn from other customers, we create benchmarks, uh, but we also learn obviously from working with those customers about what's good, what's important. And this is just an ongoing way of us being in touch with those retailers. And it's 100% partnership driven. And we do all of this always together. I love it. Really cool. You must have read a lot of feedback messages, like good and bad, you know, from that retailers have received, i.e. I thought this was going to arrive for my daughter's birthday party and it didn't. Boom. Or you did such a great job and I loved hearing from you every moment of the way. Check that box. Something went really right there. So it's fascinating. And certainly, God, the messages have been flying for the last 11 months Mm -hmm. now, for sure. 
It's interesting is, you know, for businesses as well as consumers, you know, you sit there and you, and, and you say, I understand the situation. I understand <laughs> this is a situation we've never seen before. I understand the logistics involved are impossible. I, I get all that, but I need my freaking stuff. How am I supposed to run my business or I'm going to go out of business too. So it's a, it's a lot of pressure, you know, for retailers, for example, to, to deliver on something that they almost can't, Absolutely. but they have to yep. figure out a way to do it anyway, because in the end, people don't care about FedEx's logistical issues. They only care whether Barney sent their crap or not. Right. And it's so interesting, by the way. I mean, what was the holiday season like? And I, I, I kind of wish, I don't know that if this is true, you certainly have the facts, that retailers got out ahead of it a little bit and probably managed some customer expectations. I got lots of notes from some of my online retailers saying, if you don't order by today, here's a lovely gift mm -hmm. card you could give to your person that we can get to you right away. But if you want X to arrive, this is the cutoff for it. And they, they probably do that every year, but I'm wondering if it got earlier or later, you know, just because of, you know, we've never lived through this before. No, we haven't. I mean, we've seen many peak seasons before, but no one like this. And yeah, maybe just coming back to Mark's point, I mean, retail is so competitive. There's so much choice consumers have. And with those big major platforms, obviously like Amazon is always in the room that are so good on delivering stuff, right? On, on managing operations and just getting the product that you've ordered to you in, a, in the most convenient and quickest way possible. How do you compete with this? Yeah, you won't compete with Amazon on an operational level. You just can't because you don't have the scale and you, you never will. But at the same time, you, you really cannot control those processes if a, if a third party like FedEx or UPS is doing yeah. this for you. So the only chance you do have is to take ownership of the customer engagement, the communication around this, yeah, so that you at least can step in when things go south. You cannot change that things go south, but at least you can like talk with your customers. You can talk with your customers before they know, before they frustrated, before they have missed an important date like Christmas or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah, and that, that's the difference and that's the change that we're, that we're pushing to the market that they, that they take ownership mm -hmm. of the process, of the engagement of the customer, although not being fully in control of those underlying processes. Tobias, it feels like the more that can be done to ease the like you were talking about the consumer experience but it isn't just the receiver because the receiver has the additional when it isn't a b2b transaction the receiver if they are giving something as a gift has that additional pressure of having to absorb the personal impact of that thing not arriving and you can also be for a business you know i know my wife has has a business that she relies on things getting shipped to her that are part of the transaction with her clients and she yeah. has to give it to them by a certain date or it makes everything moot so she has to broker that relationship issue and a lot of times absorb that additional expense of getting it to her people faster and believe me when i tell you that retailer or ups or whoever is not about to reimburse her for that additional expense of getting it to her and end user so what can you do to create a you know to soften that that emotional issue that arises that affects your relationship with that retailer Again, when my stuff yeah. from Barney's doesn't come, I'm not mad at FedEx and end my relationship with FedEx. It's Barney's I'm mad at. Yeah. So I, I guess there's different stages. The first and easiest you can do is just simply 
tell customers, right? So instead of letting them run into the problem and wait for them to come back to you and complain, mm. you're being very open and transparent when you proactively tell them, right? You, you're saying, hey, Rebecca, we know we promised you to deliver on December 20th. Unfortunately, I don't know, product is not available uh, in our warehouse. We cannot ship it out or UPS is having a problem or this or that or whatever. But you're, you're being very transparent about telling customers like why you are disappointing them. Like what's, what's the reason? Because if you understand it as a customer, you're more likely to say, okay, it still sucks, but at least they, they open about it. They apologized for it and mm -hmm. they gave me the reason so I can, I can understand why it didn't work out the way it was supposed to. So that's, yeah. that's one easy thing. That's, that's something that doesn't cost anything. If you want to go to the next step, and that's actually quite common, you can start working with, sorry, coupons. Yeah. So mm. something doesn't work out. We said, hey, super sorry. It's not meant to happen. But by the way, like we want to show that we highly value as a customer and apologize for this. Here's a 20 bucks coupon for your next purchase. So please see this as an apology and hope to see you soon. It's another way of doing this. If you want to get Go one step further, we don't see this in, in the e-commerce space, in the B2C space, but we see this in, in the B2B space when you talk about high value items that have some kind of issue. For example, when those issues are detected, that then they send out the product again, maybe through a different channel or maybe a courier or whatever it might be, but to get the product to the customer as promised, it's expensive. Yeah, So you cannot do this in every environment, but if you want to, if you know when stuff doesn't work out, then you can act on it. Yeah, You're not waiting until it's too late. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I will say in my situation, the company resent out what I wanted because I think we both realized it wasn't going to arrive and having working in retail, it's an expensive, you know, if they do this for every customer that really, you know, adds up. So I do think sure. it's interesting. Yeah. And I also think we look to our bigger kind of legacy retailers. Oh, well, they can reafford to send those, you know, leggings, the margin on it is probably blah, blah, blah. Most people probably don't think that deeply, you know, as opposed to maybe a small business. But yeah, you know, to your point, everybody is fighting for every dollar and every consumer wants their stuff their way when they want it where they want it and it's hard to put those two pieces of the puzzle together for sure yeah yeah agreed what is a very very big topic but very neglected as well is that talking to your customers throughout those post-sales processes you're creating a totally new communication channel yeah? so usually when when you think about marketing or customer communications all of this is focused around pre-sales. So how, how do you get customers to buy something? And all those big retail brands, they invest millions and trillions into acquiring customers and getting them to the stage where they purchase something. But then when actually they have done this, there's usually like little to no communication at all. Whereas you already know who the customer is, what they've bought. So you can be so targeted on distributing content, personalized information, maybe trying to get them to buy something else immediately because you know what they, what they like. And this totally new communication channel with touch points that have a, the probably highest awareness that you can find anywhere yeah? because everybody wants to know where's my stuff. And so like those emails are being opened, mm -hmm. they follow up on what's happening. You can utilize that interest, that connection to drive relationship to drive trust to drive 
traffic back to your web shop or maybe your social channel, whatever you want to do, instead of just leaving your customers, throwing them away and hoping that they come back some, some stage later. So moving a little bit away from this service perspective where you're thinking about how can I make my customers happy and how can I make sure that throughout the true end-to-end journey, I take care of my customers and moving more into the sales and marketing perspective that you can do more with customers that you now already have is a big potential where we've seen it across all the brands that we work with. They make, I don't know, hundred thousands of dollars every single month through retargeting Mm -hmm. their existing customers over those processes. Tobias, that is one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard on this show. I agree. Did we, did you just come up with a whole new channel? I was thinking in my mind, it's the the D channel, the delivery channel. By the way, returns are hard too, but it's not the R channel. I can say that. It is. (laughs) One of the, one of the reasons I, I say this is, you know, we, I think as brands and as retailers, we so often, I think, lose sight of the basic sales equation, which is people buy from you because they know you, they trust you, and they have a need that you are in a position to fulfill. That is what makes a sale possible. If any of those things is missing, you're far less likely to make a sale. You're certainly not going to make repeat sales. So what happens is, is so often people learn about who someone is, a brand is, so they know who they are. But they don't yet trust them. All they know is they have a need that that brand can fulfill. But there's no none of that trust equation yet until they get the thing and it's what they asked for and they like it. That's where the trust is and the relationship is built. But if the first thing I do with a brand ends up with a problem because I don't get the thing or I don't get it when I need it, the ability to utilize that opportunity to build that relationship and create a relationship where none existed and make that relationship a positive thing like you were inferring, it actually allows you to develop a relationship that is far deeper than whether that person got their, their shirt or not. Because if you think about the relationship that's built through massive marketing spends, you know, you've got uh, Taylor Swift as your as your influencer per celebrity personality. The whole reason you've done that is not just so people will pay attention to your brand, but it's effectively Taylor Swift and you have a relationship about that brand. And that puts that relationship piece into that sales equation. And you spent an enormous amount of money to make sure that you had that person and that conversation and it reaches people and you fill that. But if you're a brand that didn't do that, you're, you're an indie brand particularly, Tobias, what you're talking about fills that gap in almost almost after the fact, but in a way that strengthens the relationship with the consumer. It's It's brilliant. Yeah. And now think about maybe Taylor Swift, her personally apologizing for your parcel or your package being late. (laughs) Oh, come on. I know. You know, I was thinking how brilliant it would be for a brand to actually invest, if if it was a sizable brand, to invest in a series of videos that are produced beautifully. So you've got Matt Damon in some sort of action-filled short trying to locate what's going on. You know, there's this huge disaster going on that's caused your package to be late. And it's him (laughs) sort of talking to you and saying, I'm so sorry your thing's late. But as you can see, things are collapsing around us. Okay, if you invested as a brand in that kind of thing and you had like five of those produced yeah. and at different times you get that email saying, We're no, we know it's late, but there's a really good reason. 
wouldn't I feel great about that versus horrible about that because I got entertained and it was freaking Matt Damon or whoever it is? <laughs> it it would also I, probably go viral in a hot second, which would be good for the brand. I just want to ask one question. Am I on a podcast with two Taylor Swift fans? And I think they're called Sw- <laughs> Swifties. <laughs> no. no, you're not. No. <laughs> no Are you sure? <laughs> I'm very 100%. <laughs> No, I'm good. I'm good. All right, there it is for the <laughs> official record. If you are Swifty, however, that guy still respect you in the morning. I, so. I am, and I accuse people of being Swifties all the time. So just roll with it. Yeah. Now I have a, it's a great idea, right? And that's that's experience. This is what we talk about. It's not yeah. just about like pushing boxes. It's not just like you order something, then you get your stuff. Uh, this is yeah. this is this is the old word. But you can add value when you start taking care of your customers, right? It's, it's not just they, they buy something, you get the money and you say, okay, thanks, bye. No, it's like retention and loyalty is happening afterwards. Yeah. Uh, if, 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 you, if you deliver on the promises that you make, if you create personal, emotional engagement, then this relationship will be built. Then this is what makes you stand out in, in this very, very competitive landscape in, in retail. And this is what, what creates loyal customer base that will maybe even forgive if some things don't go well, but most importantly, connect with your brand, talk about it, come back, and will help you drive a sustainable business growth because you don't have to find a new customer for each and every transaction, but you're actually building up a loyal customer base. Beautiful. Boy, we came full circle, though, because, you know, the disaster will happen, you know, when Target launched one of its special things and the site crashed People were really ticked off. I think it was with Missoni. You know, I, I think they communicated all right, but, you know, I don't think it was spectacular. And people really, you know, wanted that product and these little special capsule collections. So, yeah, it, it's out there. It's uh, if somebody goes to white on the delivery system, Parcel yeah. Labs is will be there. <laughs> That's it. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wir werden für einen Moment innehalten und wenn wir zurückkommen, werden wir etwas über Tobias als Menschen lernen, which means that was just for Tobias. We will stop for a moment. When we come back, we'll learn about Tobias as a human right after this. What if you could tell your story, the story of your brand, your product, the compelling story of the sourcing of materials or ingredients, or even tips for getting the best use out of your products. What if you could engage your consumer, amplify their experience, or even improve conversion or initiate sales at points they don't usually happen? What if you could connect with your consumer wherever they happen to be, in the store, on your website, in the bathroom, or even on the go? What would that be worth to you? It's time you learned about StoryDot from Mouth Media Network. Short form audio stories consumers can access with their smartphone in brick and mortar locations, on physical product, or even embedded into your website. It's where commerce, advertising, and the consumer meet. Being competitive requires every advantage you can implement. So discover StoryDot today at www.storydot.com. That's www.storydot.com. 
How was my pronunciation there, Tobias? Uh, well, I could understand yeah. it, so I, oh. good enough, I would say. Uh, how come you do speak German? It's like uh, been I, over I, here or uh, family? No, I've actually, I've never been to Germany. Actually, I, uh, I I took German middle school throughout high school, and I minored it in college, and I haven't really spoken it in any significance in twenty years. Okay. But I, uh, I'm sorry, I was I was very assumptuous that perhaps you speak German. <laughs> I actually do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm impressed. I'll say that, Mark. I was like, well, is, yeah, is he joking all... around and being like the chef from the Muppet family, or is he really speaking German? Oh, yeah. That's how far back I was. That was real German. <laughs> no, that wasn't ear skid up ear. That actually, I don't think was German either. <laughs> all right. It's time for some personal questions with Tobias, where we get to know him on more of a human level. As I spin the prize wheel in my mind to determine who goes first, it has somehow landed on Rebecca. So. You know, this is the Shanad one. You are, you are in Munich right now, correct? Yeah. Where is home? Where's home? I'm, I'm traveling a lot. And I, I actually... I wanted to be living in New York by now. So that was the plan last year before COVID came and changed all our plans. But yeah, actually my, my family was supposed to move over there. Didn't happen. So hopefully happens soon when the borders open again. But yeah, born and raised in Germany. This is where I grew up. Spent quite a few years in the US and in, in other countries. So I like traveling. Uh, I like seeing new places. Uh, I really like meeting new people, new cultures. And so, although I do live in Munich right now in Germany, this is not going to be for long, for sure. Excellent. Well, when you New York will welcome you when you get here. I know that for sure. And it certainly feeds a lot of those things that you like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have three major airports, so you can also <laughs> hopefully very, very soon get, get out there when you go. need to as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> Tobias, so what is the – so it doesn't have to be recent, but it can be anything in your memory that you ordered – from somewhere that may have hit a stumbling block along the way in getting to you, but it was so worth it when it finally arrived. You could not, every day you were like a little schoolgirl checking your mailbox to see if it arrived and it finally yeah. did. What's the last thing you can remember ordering that you were just giddy when it arrived? A mountain bike. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's so, a like, good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm big into mountain biking and so um, I don't. I can't even tell how much time I have spent researching and informing myself about the best possible bike and, and all the components you can get for it. And so, like, I've been I've been surfing the internet for for months probably, and then I finally like found the one that I was looking for. Uh, I configured it the way I wanted it, and I took forever for like yeah. seriously ever to be delivered. And you can imagine myself like checking on the status each and every day, like what's going on, what's happening. And to put it in a positive way, there was a lot of anticipation. Yeah. So I've been looking forward to that date for so long. <laughs> it's like a small child waiting for Christmas yep. that it probably was even a better experience than if, if I would have just gotten it the next day. Yeah. So that happened to me. And I, I pledge guilty that. I went back to checking on the order status each and every day, even knowing that nothing would be happening in yeah. the next, I don't know, two weeks or whatever. Very, very good. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So Tobias, how can people connect with you and Parcel Lab? So you find us on the internet. Yeah. If you uh, <laughs> look for Parcel Lab, you will find us. We're super excited about 
this year to come when we will also be present on many events in the US. I'm desperately looking forward to getting in touch, meeting people personally face-to-face again. Nobody really knows when this will be happening, but it will. I'm very positive on this. But yeah, other than that, find us on LinkedIn, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, check out our website. If there's anyone interested in connecting about this topic, learning what can be done, it's it's, it's a very new thing to do. There's there's a lot Mm -hmm. of potential um, how you can build experience throughout those processes. Uh, We're super excited to talk about it, share our knowledge and yeah, uh, improve each and everyone's shopper's experience. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, everybody check out Parcel Lab. Tobias Buxholt, the CEO and co-founder of Parcel Lab. Thank you very much for joining us all the way from Munich. I really appreciate it. It was great to learn about your business and about you and uh, wish you the best of luck as you go forward. Thanks so much for having me. All right, that's it for this episode of Retail is Your Business. Uh, So appreciate you joining us for the ride. We may not have been on a mountain bike, but it still was a good ride. For Rebecca Fitz. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Tobias. (laughs) Thank you, Rebecca. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. This has been Retail is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.